This is Just the Right Book, and I am Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. I hope to bring to you some of the very best nonfiction authors, conversations you want to hear about the books you want to read. Negotiations often feel like a zero-sum game. They win, I lose. Or we split the difference, and we're equally unhappy. Or I better seem strong, maybe even contentious to win. Mm -hmm. Plus, we don't really know how to negotiate, and it brings out all sorts of emotions uh, that aren't helpful. Yet, we need to negotiate all the time on the little stuff and the big stuff. How about if we could learn that not only isn't it a zero-sum game, but by understanding the other side and playing fair, there'll be more for all the parties. And that's how to think. How do we benefit together? How do we maximize value? That provides the roadmap for great negotiations. Well, we've got the right person here to help us. Barry Nailbuff, a professor at Yale School of Management, a serial entrepreneur, a game theorist, author of many best-selling books, and co-founder of Honest Tea, which was sold to Coca-Cola, a classic David and Goliath possibility of deal-making, and now the author of Split the Pie, A Radical Way to Negotiate. Barry, welcome to Just the Right Book. Wow. Thank you for that introduction. (laughs) So, Barry, as I was reading the book, before we get to what you're going to help us understand, it made me wonder... How often do people actually come into negotiations knowing what they want? Yeah, that's actually a huge issue. Uh, And partly you don't even know what you want without talking and sharing with the other side what your interests are, what their interests are. So I think people see a negotiation as an experience where they've been read their Miranda rights. Everything you say can and will be used against you. (laughs) Right. And therefore, they either shut up, they tell white lies, they tell bald-faced lies, and they make it really hard for each side to figure out what they want. And, and you know, we'll get to it a little bit later. The other thing you talk about is preparing, mm-hmm. because the thing, the other part that this really made me think about is, what does the other side want and what's to their benefit, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think we go in just thinking about ourselves. It's being egocentric. (laughs) You know, it's a very, like, this is what I got to have happen here, or this is not going to work out. Yeah. So one of the things that I focus on is being allo, other-centered, rather than egocentric. Yeah. And in fact, I want to give the other side what it is they want. Not because I'm nice, although maybe I am nice, not because I'm generous, but because if they get what they want, then I can get what I want. Yeah, and we're going to come to that because I thought that was one of the most, uh, there were a lot of fascinating concepts, but I particularly liked that, you know, I, I'll call it a strategy. Mm-hmm. But let's start with the pie. Sure. What's the pie? The pie is the value that is uniquely created by an agreement between the parties. It's how much more they can create by coming together than if they go their separate ways. Mm -hmm. So if we, now we have to, we're both here in New Haven recording this. So the pie example that you start with is? 
a pizza pie. Yeah, and I had to take sides. I feel terrible about that, but I yeah, I was w- going to talk to you about that. I went with Pepe's, so okay. Uh, I may never get into Sally's again as a result. But Pepe's clam pizza is like mighty really fine. good. Mighty fine. It's <laughs> a problem now that I'm vegan, but in any case, I have fond memories. So in my example, just to put the numbers up there, Pepe's will give a twelve slice pizza to Alice and Bob if they can agree on how to divide it up. And then I'm just going to make something up to make it easy that if they can't reach an agreement, Alice will get four slices and Bob will get two. So the question is, how are they going to divide up those 12 slices? And, well, Rux, what what do you think the typical answer is here? Well, the typical answer is they each get six. Each get six because, okay, we're going to try and be fair. Right. That's actually the second most common answer. The most common answer is that People think Alice has twice the strength of Bob. She's going to get twice as much if there's no agreement, four slices rather than two. So she should get twice as much if there is an agreement. Eight slices for her, four for Bob. Right. And I think both of those perspectives are misguided. What's really going on is that they can get four plus two slices or six slices if they don't have an agreement, and they can have 12 slices if they do. The reason they're negotiating is to get those extra six slices. To get them, Alice is every bit as necessary as Bob, and Bob is every bit as necessary as Alice. Therefore, you split them three and three. Right. The extra. The extra. That's, then that's this funky, weird idea that people don't get naturally. But I think, as I hope, obvious in hindsight, that the negotiation is about those six, not right. about the twelve. And that when people make arguments about the 12, they're always misguided because they're misunderstanding what they're negotiating over. Right. And uh, so, uh, you know, to make this really clear, because sure. I think when you see it, it's really clear. They they already had six pieces. Correct. So that's not, that's sort of that's done. done. So they're really negotiating over what they both have to gain. Correct. Which is six more pieces. Absolutely. And so you divide those three and three, which means Alice gets the four from her deal, her deal, her, plus her, her backstop. Her, yeah. Plus three for, or seven in total. And Bob gets his two as the backstop plus three or five in total. Right. Okay. So now we've ate, we've eaten the pizza. Yeah. Alice and Bob are happy. They both, yeah. they both have their slices. I want to go to another easily measurable example sure. of thinking about this that you bring up. Your quote-unquote friend yeah. um, unwisely registers a trademark before he uh, applies for his URL and not realizing the trademark uh, trademark registrations are public. Yeah, they have to be public because otherwise... You couldn't object to them. You'd have exactly. to know what somebody's applying for. So there are people trolling out there immediately watching for these trademarks. And if the URL is available, they scoop it up so they can, you uh, know, troll you. <laughs> so they can hijack it. And, and yeah. just so everybody understands the URL, the domain name associated yeah. with the trademark. Right. And so my friend was an idiot because he didn't hire a lawyer to do it, thought he could save some money. Yeah. And that they, sounds just like a friend I know. Yeah. And so <laughs> as a result, uh, didn't know that he should be buying the domain name before finding the trademark. So he gets this letter, uh, an email saying, hey, you want this domain name? 2500 bucks." Right. So now what would your way of negotiating have you do? Because this guy's got all the power, right? He's got the URL and you got nothing. 
Yeah. Uh, so my friend, uh, he's an idiot, but he's not stupid. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so he had a slip. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of uh, wasn't paying attention. So he he feels this isn't right, and uh, he does some research and discovers an organization called ICANN, which is the Domain Name Registry. And they have a dispute resolution process. And what this troll, and we'll call him Edward because that was his name, uh, had done is called registration in bad faith. Mm. So essentially, if they go to ICANN, my friend will get the domain name back. The only problem is ICANN charges $1,300. Right. All right. So This is how they make money. Uh, well, they have costs. They have to yeah. do something. So. Uh, at that point, my friend writes to Edward and says, hey, you know, that $2,500, uh-uh, I'd rather pay ICANN 1300 and you would get zero. Right. Now, Edward is experienced in this. He has gone to ICANN many times and lost. And so he writes back saying, 1100 that's as low as I'll go. An ultimatum. An ultimatum. Now, first off, think about what Edward's uh, first strategy is. And this is a common thing that people do in negotiation. They try and soften up the other side. They try and start high. And essentially, it's sometimes in behavioral economics, it's called anchoring. So essentially, uh, $2,500. Wow, that's a scary number. And that's what we're going to start with. And then uh, my friend points out, look, there's another option here, $1,300. And the lingo for negotiation is that's my friend's BATNA, his best alternative to an agreement which is he could just pay ICANN 1300 Right. Now, what Edward has done is propose a very uneven division of the pie. So actually, here's now I'll, I'll flip the question. So what is the pie in this negotiation? So the pie is the $1,300. Oh, my God, it's poetry. It doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> because look, whatever happens, my friend's going to end up with the domain name. Either right. ICANN's going to give it to him or Edward's going to sell it to him. So the only reason they're having a negotiation is to save the thirteen hundred ICANN fee. Right. Okay. If my friend pays eleven hundred, then Edward's up eleven hundred, and my friend is only saving two hundred. Right. That is not. That's not a good deal. That is not a fair deal. It is a. It's a. Good, it's a better deal than no deal. Yeah. But it's not fair. Right. Now, one lesson that I try and teach is: don't fight fire with fire. Mm. Fight fire with water. Put out the fire. So. You could respond and say, Edward, I'll give you 200 That puts me up 1100 and you only up 200 Right. That's fire with fire. That's fire with fire. And I think the result of that is Edward gets upset. It's like, and that's my final offer and I won't go above 200 Emotion. Uh, and let me go right back to the first thing that you said when we started is that people think of negotiations as zero sum. Right. Actually... Here's the thing. So we think it's a zero sum between who, how we're going to divide up that 1300 But if they can't reach an agreement, the 1300 is lost. It's a negative sum. Right. And so actually, Edward gets zero. My friend loses 1300 So the real thing is, if you can come up with something that's fair, you actually get an agreement because people will walk away from deals they think are unfair. Right. So instead of coming back and saying 200 my friend says, you look, if I were to offer you 200 I'd expect you to reject that because that's unfair to so you. So you're taking his side. Saying, look, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I'm basically trying to say, and for the same reason that I wouldn't expect you to accept 200 you shouldn't expect me to accept the 200 There's 1300 to split. 
I'm prepared to do that 650, 650. Right. You'll be 650 ahead. I'll be 650 ahead. So Edward comes back and says, all right, I was uh, at 1100. You're at 650, 900, which is basically half the way. That's my final number. Seal the deal. I'm going away. Uh, and uh, now what do you do? Well, look, 900 is still better than 1300. But it's also unfair because Edward's now 900 up and my friend's only 400 up. Moreover, think about what the risk is here. Edward is risking 900. My friend is only risking 400. Yeah. And so what my friend does is nothing. Doesn't even respond. And a week later, Edward comes back and says, all right, 650, 650. Right. You could have had an irrational Edward, but he's in the business of doing this. So he knows that some money is better than no money. Absolutely. And let's think about this. Does Edward care about fairness? No. No. Does he's Edward, a troller. He's a troll. He's a, <laughs> does Edward care about the pie? Absolutely not. No. But if he understands that my friend cares about the pie and cares yeah. about fairness, then he has to meet my friend at 650. Now, it also shows some of the problems with the standard approach to negotiation. So if you go high at 2,500, it forces you to then make this giant move from 2,500 to 1,100. So you look weak. Well, you look like jelly. You yeah. look like you have no principle. And so one of the big lessons I take here is that principle beats arbitrary. And that essentially, if you're not talking about the pie, you just make statements that have no meaning. Edward says, look how much I've moved. I've come from 2,500 down to 900. Well, no, actually, 2,500 to 1,300 doesn't even count. Because until you get below ICANN, we're not negotiating. Yeah, and he just made that up. He's making everything up. Yeah. Right? And so one thing that people lack in the negotiation is an understanding of what they're negotiating over yeah. and having a principle of fairness. And, you know, to me, Barry, when as I was reading this and I and I, you know, I've been involved. We're all involved in negotiations sure. every day, whether it's with your three year old or your husband or your employee or you're buying or selling a business. But it did make me realize how. Unprepared mm -hmm. and irrational most of us are about understanding our value, their value, and the added value, mm -hmm. right? So that's that. So I want to come up with one last straightforward right. example. But we do have to tell people the truth uh, here. about your friend. Yeah, my friend was me. Yeah, as you probably have guessed. <laughs> and let's be clear: the other piece of advice: buy the damn domain name yeah. before you file for the trademark. Okay, it's twelve fifty. So yeah, just get it done. Just get that done. Um, so the last straightforward example I want to bring up, because it's such a concrete example of expanding the pie. It's sure. simple. And I don't know that I'm saying their names right, but tell us about Anju and Bharat. Anju and Bharat. Okay. So uh, we have these uh, two students. They're siblings. Siblings. Uh, one of them is a student, and they are negotiating over how they can combine forces to buy a bigger CD. So each has some money to invest. A certificate of deposit. A, a, a bond, yes. Yeah. Uh, and Anju has $5,000 to invest. Bharat has 20000 to invest. So Bharat has four times as much money as Anju. And if Anju just invests her $5,000, she will get 1% or $50. If Bharat invests his $20,000, he will get 2% or $400. If they combine, they'll have 25000 to invest. They can get 3% or 
or 750. Right. And the question is, how are they going to divide up that 750? Because if they can't agree on that, then they're stuck back at the 50 and the 400. So mostly you would think that the answer is the one who got 20,000 gets 3% on her 20, and the one who has five gets 3% on his five. Yeah. So, right? That's uh, what looks logical. Uh, so, let me actually take you a step back. Remember your first answer to the pizza? Yeah. You divide the 12, six, and six? Yeah. Well, you didn't say that here because if you divide the 750 evenly, that's 375 to both sides. That's worse than what Barat can get on his own. Yeah. So, that's already a proof of what's wrong. With just the split. With just the even split of the wrong thing. Right. But your backup that you talk about is the other thing that people think is right is proportional. proportional. And so here it's Bharat has invested four times as much as Anju. He should get four times as much. They're being treated fairly because they're each getting 3%. Right. Eh. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So what's wrong with that? It doesn't understand that they have different backups. And it doesn't recognize what they're negotiating over. Just like Alice and Bob could get six slices with no deal, Anju and Bharat can get $50 plus $400 with no deal or $450 in total. Right. The reason they're having this negotiation is to go from $450 to $750 to get that extra $300. To get that, Anju is every bit as essential as Bharat. And therefore, it should be divided 150-150. And we've done experiments where we had people redo this negotiation. And sure enough, the classic answers were the proportional division where Anju gets 150 and Bharat gets 600, the four-to-one ratio. Yeah. But once we educated Anju's about the pie, they were able to make radical improvements and go at least halfway towards the split-the-pie solution. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Part of part of what you talk about is very basic to understand, which is complicated to figure out but easy to define. So you use the acronym BOTNA. How do you pronounce that? BATNA, rhymes with CATNA. Oh, BATNA. Uh, Okay. So that is the best alternative to a negotiated settlement. And what does that mean? And how do you even figure that out? Well, in some cases, it's pretty straightforward. So in our example with Anju and Bharat. That's easy. It's the 50 and the 400. And the pizza's easy. The pizza's easy. I want to get to the hard ones. Well, actually, even before we get to the hard ones, let's think about the domain name case. Yeah. The BATNA here, the fallback was going to uh, ICANN and spending $1,300. Now, one piece of advice you'll see all over in negotiation is never reveal your BATNA. Mm -hmm. Keep it secret. Mum's the word. Do you agree with that? No. No. Uh, I revealed my BATNA to Edward. And people say, well, if you tell him your alternative is going to ICANN and paying $1,300, he's going to make you pay $1,200. Mm-hmm. But my view is I'm just as likely to pay $1,200 as I am to pay $100. i am not going to be driven to my BATNA any more than I expect the other side to. Mm-hmm. That once I understand we're negotiating over the pie and I'm going to split it, I'm a whole lot more protected in terms of revealing my BATNA. 
And what that did is just get us into the realistic zone right away and saved a huge amount of time. Yeah. So when 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 I when I was reading it, so I read your I read your book, right? I'm not going to interview and not that, read. That's your who book. you are. Okay. And then I begin negotiations, mm-hmm. and the other person hasn't read your book. Yeah. Poor fool. Right. He just hasn't read it. How do I even? start the process because here's here's one thing that you say in the book you quote chris voss who interviewed uh he was the author he is the author of never split the difference and he suggests opening a negotiation with a promise to be fair now here's the way i feel about people who say i want to be fair the f word yeah, it's like when somebody tells me they're going to tell me the truth. So you yeah. tell other people not the truth. Yeah, like if I ever hear somebody say honestly, it's I'm like I'm watching no. my pocket. Uh, yeah, well, I feel that way about fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you agree with that? You start with that saying because you're going to have to educate the other mm-hmm. person about this theory of negotiating. Yeah. So would you really start by saying I want to be fair? Well, uh, one place I disagree or move uh, from uh, Voss, Chris. if you'd like, is that if I'm going to talk about being fair, I'm going to explain what I mean by it. Okay. And I think that makes a big difference because a lot of people in our interest rate example will say that the four to one ratio uh, is fair. Yeah. And yeah. if you're Barat, it sounds fair to you. It just isn't fair to Anju. And so we have to be very careful about throwing that word out. So what I'd like to do is start a negotiation with a discussion of how we're going to negotiate. And essentially, the worst thing is to start with price. Mm. The next better thing is to talk about interest. Why? What do we care about? What are your hopes and dreams? Right. What I want to do even before that is to say, can we agree that what we're trying to do is create a large pie and split it? Because if we can make that agreement, then I know we're going to have a deal and we can spend our efforts on making that pie as big as possible. Right. That could be a little bit forward. And so perhaps you want to start with humor. Something like, so what do you say we each act like jerks, take a zero-sum mindset, try and lie and take advantage of the other as best as possible? And when they say, uh, maybe not, it's like, okay, good, because I didn't want to do that either. Yeah. I got this book here, Split the Pie, and there's this new idea, and if we can agree on creating a large pie and splitting it, we're good. Yeah. So let's go to this example because anybody listening to us could say, well, that's fine. You know, Barry's a guy who went to MIT, teaches at Yale School of Management. You know, what does he know about real life? But as I said in the introduction, you had a classic David and Goliath example. You and Seth Goldman, who was a student of yours, Mm -hmm. created a company called Honest Tea, like we're drinking. And um, it started out, you were going to partner with Coca-Cola to save bottling costs. Mm -hmm. But you ended up selling to Coca-Cola. So share with us what you negotiated, and then I have some more questions. All right. Well. uh, So you're not merely an academic. uh, (laughs) I could be merely an academic. No, I know, I know. Uh, So um, Seth and I had been working on Honest Tea for 10 years, and we had built this business from organically from zero to 
little over 20 million in sales. Right. And I it, remember when you were doing this, yeah, when you started it. Yeah. I, the, uh, none of my colleagues invested, uh, which is- uh, They're sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, so um, Coca-Cola had a partnership with Nestle that was creating Nestle that had prohibited them from doing other investments in the tea space. And that partnership had ended, and that allowed ah. them to venture in the tea world. Yep. And um, they wanted uh, to buy us. We were the number one brand at Whole Foods in every region of the country, the fastest growing brand. But we had a problem, which is we were too small. Coca-Cola is excellent, awesome at taking companies from 100 million to a billion. They also can take a company from 50 million to zero. Yeah. So. We all agree. And the acquisition world is strewn with startups like yours that got destroyed by its big acquirer. Yeah, you have to be able to, you have to be large enough to fit into their system. You have to yeah. have a brand that's well enough known. You have to be able to sold outside of Whole Foods, but in Publix, in Stop and Shop and the like. Right. So we agreed they'd buy us in three years. We agreed they'd help us with manufacturing, with distribution, with purchasing. But you can also see what the problem was. If they're going to help us, they don't want to have to pay more for the stuff they're helping us with. Yeah. Uh, and so how do we resolve that? And the answer that we achieved literally in the first hour of our negotiation was, why are we having this deal? It's to create something that we can't do on our own. Right. We think we can get to sales of X without you. To the extent we get above X, we couldn't have done it without you. And so they're saying, well, we shouldn't pay for it. You, you know, we shouldn't pay for that. And my response is you should pay half because it's true. We can't get there about without you. But they can't get there without you. They, we need each other. And so therefore, let's agree to make this pie as big as possible. Let's work to make that happen. You'll pay full price up to X and half price thereafter. So, Barry, here's the question that I had. So that was brilliant, and it worked out spectacularly well, and the company grew, I think you ten said, times 10 bigger. times sure. revenue. But one of the things that I saw in my days as an accountant, or I see now when I read about it, is you sell to a Coca-Cola. Yeah. And even if Seth goes to work for Coca-Cola, mm -hmm. so he's inside because you have mutual interests in sure. growing this company. Coca-Cola is a big company. Yeah. Seth might not, a Seth, yeah. or Seth in particular, might not get agreement about the kind of marketing that they want to do, the kind of branding they yeah. want to do. So how do you in that situation, which you now really are in David and uh, Goliath territory, how, what is it that contributes to retaining enough control to make happen what's in your mutual best interest? The good news is we had 100% control. So why, how, so, why was that? Uh, that was part of our agreement. We were yeah. worried about exactly those issues. Yeah. And actually, Coca-Cola was aligned with us on that. Is, is they, that typical or untypical? Uh, this was a- Is untypical a word? Atypical. Atypical. Yeah. Uh, atypical. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they understood that they have a challenge dealing with companies that are too small. Yeah, and so they had created a whole division uh, to to help startups. Uh, oh, interesting! To, to, to incubate them, uh, and that was part of what was attractive about this—that we could retain control, 
and do the growth during those three years. And we managed to grow from 23 million to 75 million yeah. during that time. So, and and you split that we increase. We split the part above X, not yeah. above 23 yeah. million. And yeah. let's be clear, there was a negotiation and disagreement about what X is. And yeah. there's a disagreement about what the price for X should be. But those, I'd say, are data questions. And what we're trying to do is move a negotiation from a theory, how we're going to split something, to, all right, we've agreed to split it. Now let's just figure out what the market numbers are. Right. And, but, you know, part of what, you know, I've seen, you and I have both seen projections done up, yeah. you know, where there's so much speculation. Sure. Involved. How do you how do you ground all that speculation? Well, you so in the end, that's why it was a challenge, and it's a data yeah. exercise. It's okay. What is the growth rate of your existing products? What are the markets you're in? What are the markets you're going to go in? What are the new products you're bringing to bear? And let's be clear, we didn't predict the recession that was going to happen during those three years. So, yeah, or didn't didn't your drink also become alcoholic on the we, shelf? We had a kombucha. That became accidentally alcoholic, and <laughs> that led to a million-dollar recall and all sorts of other headaches. So, yeah, I don't claim that we were perfect at it, but what we agreed to do was split our best estimate of the ex post pie. Yeah. And that's a point to make, which is sometimes you know what the pie is, and sometimes you don't, but you can agree to split it as it materializes. Yeah, uh, which I have found in deals that I've been involved in is generally successful. Mm-hmm. You know, because then you've aligned the interest. There's a couple of other things I want to make sure uh, that we get to. There, one of the ideas in the book that I loved, which you mentioned earlier, was from Cade Massey's sure. conversation with Joe Lemley. So yeah. he was a cattle and car dealer, yeah. trader. Um, and the and Joe Lemley's comment was, if you can figure out how to give the other guy what he needs or well, better, better what he wants. Yeah. You can get just about anything from him. So, mm-hmm. how does that work in real life? Yeah, let me give you an example. Okay. Uh, uh, somebody's selling a gas station, and yep. what they're hoping to do is take a round-the-world trip on their sailboat. Right. And what they've done is they've priced the gas station in a way that's wholly inappropriate. They've priced the station based on the cost of the trip. Now that's not a good argument. It's yeah, not a because princi- what does that have to do with the value of the gas station? Exactly, and so. But what, that's what he wants. That's what he wants, or, or better yet, it's what he needs, and better yet, what he wants, if you yeah. like. Um, and when I see people negotiate this case, they get all mad at the person. It's like, you know, get a grip. Your station isn't worth that You're much. You're an idiot. Yeah. Um, and it just goes downhill from there. Yeah. The, when students are curious, when they're empathetic, it's a completely different story. It's like, wow, a trip around the world, that's amazing. No, look, you're a young man. You know, what are you planning to do when you come back? It's like, oh, well, actually, yeah, I'm not planning to retire. Uh, I'm going to I'm need to find a job. I'm going to need to find a place to live. I'm going to have to sell my boat. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, well, you know, you're a great manager. Can we hire you when you come back? Oh, you've got a boat and all your wealth is tied up in the boat. Would it help us to give you a loan against the boat, boat so you won't have to do a fire sale? Hmm. When you do those things, the person's budget changes, and now they don't need as much money for the trip, and now they're prepared to sell to you at a non-economic price. Again, they just cared about the cost of the trip, not what the value of the station is. If you've allowed them to take that trip, 
you're going to get the station. And, and the point of that is it's disarming to the other person to have someone you're negotiating with seemingly, if not literally, interested in what it is is important to you. Yeah. Right? That's disarming. And healthy. Uh, because, again, uh, I'm not saying I'm going to give you what you want in terms of dollars. Yeah. I'm going to try and figure out what your true interests are and see if we can make that possible. And if we can, then you're going to be highly motivated to do a deal. What's interesting is how many people lie about what they're doing. They'll say mm. things like, oh, I'm retiring or none of your business. And that doesn't work because if you say you're retiring, then the other side isn't going to say, well, okay, would you like a job? You just said you're retiring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the question is, how do you get people to tell you what it is they really want? What shouldn't you reveal? Uh, you know, you may not have to reveal the fact that uh, you got a boat payment due in six hours. Uh, <laughs> it, but then again, if you want the cash in six hours. Then you ought to make that clear. Then you ought to make it clear. And so in some sense, people want the advantage of the sort of the high price and the quick. And, you know, if you one really matters. Yeah, it's like my, my terms, your price. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell them what it is you want so they can give it to you. And it's true, you may end up getting less on the cash frontier, but you're going to get something that's more valuable to you. Right. But the key, the key, Barry, throughout the book is you need to know as the entering into the negotiations, whether you're David or Goliath or mm -hmm. you're even or your siblings, you have to understand what you want and what the added value of the deal is. Yeah. So this example actually was a case where the person in the gas station didn't know what they wanted. They knew they wanted to be on a trip. They didn't know they wanted a job when they com came back. Yeah. They didn't think about asking for it because if they had thought about it, they would have asked for it and gotten it. They just knew they had some budget that was done because they didn't really think about all the ways of solving their problem. Yeah. So actually, my larger point is you can't count on people knowing what it is they want. Yeah. You actually have to talk to them about what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And that will help you understand what it is that they want. And, and, and you know, that's a, that's a big thing to think about because you can't assume that people are coming in with the clarity yeah. that might be in their best interest. So there's two things I want to make sure we cover before I, I ask you um, a last question. One of the things that you talk about, which it sounds so simple, mm -hmm. uh, but isn't often done is this idea of saying yes if mm -hmm. versus no, no. unless yeah. and the tone with which you do it. So uh, the example that you have in the book is this is an example that you had between Zinc It and Hassan. And one way of doing it that fails is Zinc It says, I'm going to pay you no salary the other guy says, I'm sorry, I find that insulting. And then Zinkit says, but I'm going to also give you a $71.4 million bonus. bonus. Uh, and Hassan says that's a hard no. Yeah. The other way is to say, I'd like to pay you a huge bonus. Really, how big? 71.4. Okay, you've got my attention. 71.4 bonus creates the largest pie. Uh, but I'm going to have to give you a smaller upfront bonus. Mm -hmm. uh, 
how small? Well, actually, nothing up front. That's not working so well either. And the one that works is I'd like to pay you a huge bonus. How big? 71.4. Okay, you've got my attention. A 71.4 million bonus creates the largest possible pie. He tells him the uh, calculations. The other guy says, and what do you get? And he talks about the size of the pie. They never talked about salary. Yeah. So what happened in the first case that went wrong was the person was presenting the offer the way they liked it. They were really happy about the low salary. Right. And what the other side wanted was the big bonus. And so tell the other side what they want to hear, which is, hey, I'm going to give you this fantastic bonus because you really like bonus. Right. And then get you excited about that. And let me also explain to you why we're both gaining the same amount. Now, you know one of our daughters, Rachel, classmate of Edwards. Yeah, good friends. And uh, went to the Butterfly Garden together in Florida. Absolutely. So she learned the yes if uh, strategy. Um, It's one of the things I say to people, don't say no. Say yes if. Yeah. Now, you can say no. Which is different than an ultimatum. Absolutely. So... You can say no if they're asking you, is it illegal? It's unethical? Okay, fine. Say no to that. But instead, if uh, think about what it would take for you to say yes. So I wanted Rachel to join the high school math team. And let me say on her list of 100 favorite things. Math wasn't one. Wasn't on the list. <laughs> exactly. Um, she's our English major She's an English major, playwright. Uh, at least that's what she does now. Uh, but she didn't say no to me. She said Yes, if we can get a dog. Mm. We got a dog. She joined the math team. And it was a win-win solution. Of course, high school's four years and the dog's... 13. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, to be honest, I only got one year on the math team. So, But it was still a, a good But you love the dog. Love the dog. And uh, it worked. And at one point, someone uh, asked me to give a, a speech in Korea. And it turns out, given my schedule at Yale, I have to be fly over to Korea and come back the same day, yeah. uh, which was not high on my list of fun. And so I didn't say no. I said, well, at this price, I'd be prepared to do it. I don't think I'm worth that much, but that's not for me to decide. That's for you to decide. And they paid. They said yes. And I learned that if you go to Korea for eight hours, you don't get jet lag. Uh, so it was not as bad as I was anticipating. But you know, Barry, that, that whole notion of yes, if, as opposed to no, unless. no, unless, is one of the critical things to think about in all conversations. Uh, you know, it's such a big deal yeah. to be thinking, yes, if. Yeah. And let's take that to just an average, ordinary job negotiation. You want the person to go out of their way, to make an exception, to give you the higher bonus, the higher salary, the more stock. And if they're going to do that and go above their heads or make the exception, they want to know they're going to be successful. Yeah. Because the worst thing is they do all that and use them as a bargaining tool to get a better deal at your current job. And then they can't go to the well again. The HR person is stuck. And so let them know, yes, if you do these things, I want to say yes. I'm prepared to say yes right now. There is no more deal to, no more It also leaves room, though, for negotiation if you say yes, if. There's mm-hmm. no room if you say no. no. Or no unless. And then the problem is they offer you something better 
but not quite what you've asked for. Yeah. And you change your st- story. Well, wait a second. I thought you said no unless. Why am I even bothering? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. But the other part of this that is presumptive Mm -hmm. is having the confidence. You know, I'm thinking of salary negotiations. Having, and you have an example in the book about a way to ungender gap um, things. But all of this is about understanding your worth first. As a person, as a company, you really do have to, because what I think happens, Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of salary negotiations. I have people... You know, I've been hiring people for 50-something years. They don't work at R.J. Julia just for the love of it? Well, at BDO Seedman, they they did it for both. But even at R.J. Julia's, you want to be fair, right? You want to pay. But I think some people are afraid to say, well, this is what I think I'm worth. Uh So they want to see what you're willing to pay. And you end up with just a messy thing where people are not happy. Say what you want. There's another problem, too, which is you have to be prepared to say yes when they hit the if. That's right. And if you're not prepared to do it, well, then don't do the yes if. And that's another statement, which is, okay, am I really happy? Is this the place I want to end up? So that's right. It's a, it, it, it has consequence when you say that. Yeah. And therefore, not saying it also has consequence. Which is why, you know, one big takeaway, I think, Barry, is... Before you get involved in any negotiation, to really be thinking about your value, what you're looking for, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, mm-hmm. and then deal from a place of a lot of clarity. Yeah. And let's be clear, you can also ask the other side for help in this regard. And mm-hmm. so uh, recently, I was involved in helping New Haven negotiate with the, aer- uh, the airport. Mm. Uh, and we have a new airline, and we have, we're going to have a new terminal. And we didn't know anything about this, but we said to the other side, you have to show us your spreadsheets. Yeah. You have to show us how much money you're planning to make here because- That'll we, help us. Because I got to be able to go to the mayor and say, you know, what they're offering is a fair deal. And yeah. if you're not prepared to show us the, I, I want you to make money because I want you to come here. I want this to work. But essentially, I need your help. Or you can also say the flip of this. Help me understand why in the past these super smart people you've hired have failed. Yeah, we've watched it. And if they tell me why this other person they've hired has failed, then I can learn either, whoops, I'm like that person, so I shouldn't take this job. Or... No, here's why I'm different than that person. Yeah. Which means we're going to actually create a bigger pie together, which then gives you the confidence to be more generous when trying to hire me. Yeah. So, Barry, as a final question, I I want you to earn the big bucks you're getting paid Uh to do this podcast. Uh Uh-oh. So all the examples we've used are economic. Yeah. Right? They're deals. Well, I don't know. Dog for math team? Would you call that? Oh, yeah. Okay. But. We have a man by the name of Vladimir Putin. Yeah. So now you've got all the things. He's seemingly irrational. He's willing to take risks that you think people. 
How would split the pie work in negotiating with Vladimir Putin and the Ukraine? Yeah. Well, not everything is a negotiation. Yeah. And when the other person's goal is to destroy you, you know, you don't always negotiate with them. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, so I'm trying to bring temperatures down and apply logic. Uh, one of the lessons that I've learned from Bill Urey that I think is quite right. He's the author of? Co-author of Gain to Yes and yeah. many other books, Getting Past No, is write the other side's victory speech. Mm -hmm. So what is it that Putin will be able to go back to his country and say, this is why we did it? Yeah. And boy, that is looking hard to do. Yeah. And that's why people are so pessimistic about how we'll ever get out of this, because I don't see how they come up with a win. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's what's that's what's disheartening is not even a good enough word. It, it, it's, it's tragic. And, it is tragic. Uh, and I think that there was just terrible misunderstandings, misinformation, misalignments uh, that I don't know if any changes could have been done to prevent it, because this may have been what his he, plan, his plan, what he needs to do to stay in power. You know, Crimea uh, take over. Uh, invasion was terrific for his uh, popularity. Popularity, and so okay, you know, I need another wag the dog. I, a dog. I need another uh, case of a simple, uh, easy victory. And uh, it was a major miscalculation. Yeah. So, I I I do think it's uh, important. It, I mean, that is an example of when you end up with an irrational person who's willing to destroy things. But I don't think mostly in yeah. in the practical world do you end up with that. Yeah. Or if I find the person out there like that, my goal is not to negotiate with them. Yeah. Because it's not going to go well. And I want to learn that as early on as I can. Yeah. The good news is that most people you're negotiating with are not. So, no, and you may think they're that way because they're acting like a jerk. But, you know, their mother loves them and that actually they're probably yeah. not a jerk. They just have never been trained in how to negotiate. And so help them out. Fight fire with water. Give them a framework. Appreciate that you are acting in a fair way. So you've got the principle. They're all emotional. Yeah. Bring the logic to bear. And I do think, you know, I want to, A, I want to thank you um, for um uh, joining us to have this conversation. And I want to encourage our listeners. You know, I did find, as I have all your books, Barry, I mean, like one of the books I still reread is Coopetition, which is of a similar ilk. I only have one theory. In you life. have one theory. It's, it's, <laughs> cooperate. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Let's be clear. Cooperate and compete. You yeah. cooperate to create a pie. You compete to divide it up. But if you can agree on how you're going to divide it up, we've solved the hard part. Now we can focus on the cooperation part. Yeah. And I do think, so we've been talking with Barry Nailbuff, uh, the author of Split the Pie, A Radical New Way to Negotiate. So this is useful if you're selling your company. Hi, you know, you're an employee, you're, you're married, you've got a three-year-old. If you breathe. If you breathe. <laughs> if you breathe. I think you've got, you know, just, and, and there's actually... There were two things uh, I want to make sure I mentioned. One is you've got takeaways at the end, which I thought was a great list. 
And then I went to the website, splitthepie.com, and I watched those. I'm sorry? Splitthepiebook.com. Oh, splitthepiebook.com. Thank you. But, and it had videos on there yeah. where you had Yale uh, hired School actors. of Drama You'll kids. see them here before they win their Academy Awards. I mean, that was kind of neat to go there and look at that and see, you know, what I would call was role play. Uh, yeah, they, what they had done is I filmed my students doing negotiations and we debriefed them. Now, I can't put my students up there up on there. the web because yeah. they're real people. They're going to have real lives. We're going to know who they are. So I had Yale School of Drama folks watch the actual negotiation yeah. and then recreate it. And they're just amazing. They're fun. They're uh, really fun. They're fun. And you can learn by watching sort of what not to do yeah, yeah. and what to do. And the takeaway list, I think, is a good is a good way. You know, one of the things that I hope listeners takeaway is to pre-think when you're doing something that actually is a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't think you realize you're negotiating. And to there's a lot of uh, tips in here, like the yes if, mm -hmm. that are useful in any conversation where you're coming trying to come to an agreement. Absolutely. Make the other side's argument. Yeah. Uh, the reason is we can't always get our way, but we can always be understood. Yeah. And so if I make the other side's argument, that's a great way of demonstrating that I understand where you're coming from. Plus, I'll be charmed by that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Barry, thank you so much. Lots of success uh, with the book. And thanks for joining us on Just the Right Book. Thanks for helping make a giant pie today. <laughs> thanks for joining us on Just the Right Book. Uh, please tell all your friends about it. You can... Uh, find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. Produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening.